Hey, Lauren. Hi, Sam. Are you ready to talk about Ford versus Ferrari? I am, because after all, we're the watchers of movies. How was your Christmas? It was pretty good. I got um, a tablet called a Remarkable 2. And it's basically like, it's a tablet that feels like paper and basically like, um, it's kind of, I like to write, but like after being on a computer all day, the last thing I feel like doing is going on a computer, you know? Um, so this is, is like writing in a notebook, but I hate writing in a notebook because if you mess up, then you have to like just scratch it out and it looks really messy and like gross and everything. So I got this tablet and it like connects to the internet, but you can't use it for like a browser or anything. And it's, it's really cool and I'm really excited to use it. So I'm like, yay. Yeah. Does it come with like a stylus or something? It does. It's like a pen. Yeah. That's neat. Pretty cool. Yeah. 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 That's a good gift. You should get these pens. Mike told me about them and they're magical. They're called friction and Mm -hmm. they are erasable pens, but they're not like erasable. Like the eraser doesn't come apart because it's heat that makes the pen, the ink disappear. Oh, so it's the friction of erasing them. So there's no like eraser debris or anything and it erases really good, but it's magical because if you put whatever you erase into the freezer and it gets cold again, it reappears. <laughs> so if it's like, if it has like an extreme temperature, it will, it's, it's fun anyway. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He told me this anecdote from the radio show Free Beer and Hot Wings. And one of the, uh, one of the DJs does like um, football commentary for, I think, college football. And he had taken extensive notes for his job and it was like hours before he was supposed to start doing commentary and he was laminating his note page and the laminator <laughs> made all his ink. Dis- and he didn't know like he didn't realize what kind of pen he was using. And he was like, f- like his mind was, he couldn't figure it out. Like, where did all my notes go? And so he like rewrote them all. And he was talking on the phone to his wife and his wife was like, you might've been using one of those friction pens try putting your note page in the freezer and he did and after like an hour it came all of his notes came back (laughs) mike and i tried it when he gave me the pens we i put something in his freezer overnight and the next day we looked at it that's what they um they used at the uh the back of the declaration of independence oh yeah (laughs) they were ahead of their time i mean nicholas cage should have known he didn't need urine or lemon juice or whatever he should put it in <laughs> lemon juice freezer. yeah yeah <laughs> oh the office was urine the office was um there was a joke about invisible ink with involving urine on the office but on national treasure it was lemon juice oh, yeah. <laughs> much cleaner <laughs> so how was your christmas it was really good um Mike gave me this really cool gift and it's like a, it's a book about the space shuttle, but the cover looks like a Haynes auto manual. Mm -hmm. So like, it looks like you can, you know, it's for repairing the space shuttle, you know, but then you open it up and it's all kinds of like information about the shuttle. And then my mom got me a sweater with the security tag still on it. So I assume she, she lifted it basically. (laughs) Now she's wanted by the cops (laughs) and I had a lot of treats. 
cats and it was pretty fun. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty low key. I mean, we usually have a party, obviously, this year. That didn't happen, but what you gonna do, you know? Yeah. During a global pandemic. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So and now Christmas is over. It is. Yeah. And usually I'm kind of sad after Christmas ends, but this year I'm like, eh. It doesn't it doesn't really feel too different than any other day of the year, to be honest, you know? Yeah, this was actually like a pretty fun Christmas for me. Like I actually um it was it was quite enjoyable, which is usually I'm like, eh, Christmas, whatever. But okay. this year was pretty fun. So I'm not sad that it's over, but I'm sort of I mean like it was it was good. It was good. Yeah. 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 Like my, on Christmas Eve, my, like just my whole family, other than my mom, were kind of just like sitting around and like, and my mom's like, why are you two so down? Come on, get up and let's do something and blah, blah, blah. And we're just like, Ugh, it's just like, why? <laughs> you know? And so we ended up playing a couple of games and that was pretty fun. It was like, um, general knowledge games or whatever you know um so i mean it it was good it was a good christmas it, it was, was just the four of you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we did a zoom call with some of the family um my aunts so my uncle's wife well he passed away but her family we also did a zoom call with them uh so that was pretty fun because they're kind of like our cousins you know we spent a couple holidays with them yeah that's cool yeah. yeah yeah um i had dinner with mike and his mom on christmas eve and she got us lotto tickets and that was very fun <laughs> and and then i saw my parents we like in the scratch morning. off yeah mm-hmm. did you win anything i won two dollars nice so that was cool that was really fun and then in the morning i saw my mom and dad and we had breakfast and everything and um and then I went home because they were having my brother's families over, but I'm trying to like, I don't know. I, I have some reservations about big gatherings and so I didn't, I didn't want to be there. Yeah, I get it. Well, so speaking of weird things happening in this world, <laughs> that's a setup. Okay. Thank you. Into our mini topic, which I'm very excited about because I did this on like Monday of last week. Or wait, yeah, well, last Monday, um, we decided to kind of do like an end of the year just discussion about all, all of the weird shit that has happened this year. Obviously, the pandemic is a huge weird thing, but these are like the little weird things that have happened. Yes. So I'm going to tell Sam a couple of stories and she's going to just react to them, right? Yeah, I know you showed me the like the headline or the lines that you wrote and I know two of them I know at least one of them and I don't think I know I know two of them and I think I the other ones I don't know anything about okay yeah okay so I tried to do it from least shocking to most shocking (laughs) so (laughs) because I wanted the end to be like the like bang you know Um, sure yeah so my first one is called Porno Mags Guy. 
And I got this from MLive.com. It's by John Agar. And the headline is, Son Wins Lawsuit After Mom Throws Away His Best Porno Mags. You have to say that headline is, His Best Porno Mags. Best Porno Mags. (laughs) So, David Working, aged 42. Oh, boy. His parents, Beth and Paul Working, because... They threw out what Judge Paul Maloney and Kalamazoo called, and I quote, a trove of pornography and an array of sex toys, unquote. Wow, a trove. You don't really get to use trove that often. I like it. No. So... In 2016, David had moved in with his parents after a divorce. I wonder why, after having an array of sex toys and pornography. (laughs) But um, he ended up moving to Indiana after a couple years, and he asked them to send him his porn. And his father sent him an email that said, frankly, David, oh, this is, I quote, frankly, David, I did you a big favor by getting rid of all this stuff, end quote. The judge, Paul Maloney, rejected the parents' request to dismiss the case. Um, And when David had originally moved out, his parents had wanted him to bring, or or moved in, his parents did not want him to bring the porn in, but he decided he did anyway, and they told him it would be destroyed. Uh, Oh, well, then he has no, like, they told him from the beginning what was going to (laughs) happen. I was the judge. I'd throw that case out as well. He knew the stakes. Well, no, he didn't though. The he um he ruled in in David's favor. Oh, he did. Yeah, that's bad. That's <laughs> no way. So, what I think is interesting is on August twenty third, two thousand seventeen, the parents had called the police over an incident that had happened with David, which I don't know. I don't know the details about that, and they wanted him to um leave for at least three days so i'm wondering like what kind of guy this is you know like is he violent is he but some of the um pornography that they had that he had they actually like saved in a safety deposit box because it was considered the worst of the worst and they were like child pornography yeah like um and the share the ottawa sheriff's department reviewed the materials and didn't find any evidence of child pornography so there's no charges resulted as far as that did you ever see little miss sunshine yeah when the porn falls out of the like so alan alda that's his name right not alan alda no it's not alan alda alan arkin has steve carell buy him some porn and he go and he gives him some money he's like buy some for yourself too and steve carell's character is a homosexual so he buys porn for the grandpa and then he buys one like gay porn magazine for himself and right. a cop pulls them over and the porn falls he opens the trunk and the porn falls out and the cop like does a 180 and he's like love this stuff love this stuff and gear uh <laughs> What's his name? The dad, the dad character. Oh, um, oh is my like god! Trying Greg to Kinnear. like Greg Kinnear is like trying to play along, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's great, it's great." And then he comes to the gay porn, which is I think it's called like buns and ammo or something crazy like that. I can't remember. <laughs> and he like immediately gets this look on his face, like this is not my thing. But he looks at Greg Kinnear, and he just kind of like gives him the step back, you know? What I mean? It's just. I don't know. That's probably what the sheriff did when he was looking through the porn in the safety deposit box. And he's like, nope, nothing to see here. Everything's good. 
<laughs> oh man. Um. Anyway, so overall, all the amount that they threw out was twenty five thousand dollars worth of pornography. Jeez. So, that's probably why they got divorced. That's not exactly the porn. Not, no, not because of the porn, but because he spent so much money on it. Like, I know. <laughs> could you? That's I a mean, lot of money. Imagine, like, being... of course, he might have bought a lot of it before he was even married. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but, but to me, that's like. <laughs> so, like, my first thought was so you just announced to anyone who has an internet connection that you have $25,000 worth of pornography and you're not a little embarrassed over that you know like yeah I don't I guess I I don't I mean maybe like I can see how maybe like a vintage playboy might be a collector's item much like a vintage GI Joe just you got to find the right buyer so I guess maybe like the 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 price of the collection is more like its collectible value or right but I think some of like it seemed like some of it was like maybe kind of violent or like aggressive and it's just like uh I don't know it's like imagine if you were um online dating and you started talking to some guy named David and David and you were like okay David what's your last name so I can look you up online you know like just want to google you see if you haven't you know had any priors against you or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like you put in david working and all of a sudden twenty five thousand dollars worth of porn pops up and you go you know what david it's been fun it's been real it's been really yeah fun. i'd say that's an ideal go. situation like <laughs> if you all you have to do is do a google google search and you know that the person is probably not somebody you want to date i mean that's yeah i would love that if i was in that if I was in the, that woman's shoes, I'd be no. like, thank God I didn't, thank God we can end this before feelings are involved. <laughs> you know, anyway. oh, it's like dating so a guy and then finding out he has a cat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have a cat. I'm just kidding. I was just trying to think of something totally innocuous. <laughs> like, it's like dating a guy and then finding out he loves Subaru, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Again. Totally the same thing. Know. It's like dating a guy and then finding out his favorite superhero is Superman. It's like, what kind of person are you? Your favorite superhero is Superman? It's like, it's it's like meeting the man of your dreams, then meeting his beautiful wife. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? <laughs> it's like rain on your wedding day. It is. Anyway, that's a pretty crazy story. And I'm surprised the judge ruled in his favor because it seems like his parents were 100% honest with him from the get-go. And also, if you move away and you leave something priceless at somebody's house, that's on you. Like, you should take yeah. your priceless possessions with you when you leave. So I don't really have any sympathy for him in that regard because if there's something very important to me, I usually take it with me when I go different places. Yeah. And when my parents threatened to throw out my porn collection, <laughs> I just moved when i moved i took it with me right yeah and then i didn't have to go through the embarrassing lawsuit and now when i online date everybody thinks i'm normal for the first few months of our relationship and by the time (laughs) i have them locked in that's when i show them my porn collection oh yeah you know what same 
Yeah. But I do give yeah. that article 10 points for a very funny headline. Like whoever the, the writer. Oh, of the no. Article, I re- oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. The writer <laughs> of the article, like that's like a once in a lifetime opportunity where he was like, oh, my gosh, I get to do it. Or I don't know if the article writers or the editors like who does the headline. I don't actually know, but I don't know. It's pretty funny. It yeah. But funny. whoever was obviously like a fan fan of beastie boys because they were like in their best porno bags <laughs> it's pretty good yeah it's pretty great so my second story <clears throat> is titled jeffrey tubin cranks it i know that of course i know this one this one was all over the news <laughs> and this one is hilarious <laughs> it's pretty so, good it's pretty good i, I got and what from- a name like that's like the wiener guy like it's like their oh, names um, predispose them to it, something. Anthony Weiner or whatever. Yeah. Like, how does this happen? Yeah. <laughs> Tubin? So, Tubin. Okay. So it's from Vice.com. It's by Laura Wagner. And Jeffrey Tubin is a reporter or was a reporter for the New Yorker. And he was on a Zoom video with chat. Uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I'm going to just start over again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Jeffrey Tubin uh, was a reporter for the New Yorker, and he was on a Zoom video chat with members of the New Yorker and the WNYC radio on the week of October 12th. And the the call was about the election simulation, so it was like a bunch of people that were kind of just like, essentially, like essentially kind of like role playing what might happen with the election results, more or less. And <clears throat> And what happened is the people who are playing the Democrats and the people who are playing the Republicans like went off to, to kind of have their own little discussion. And when they came back, people said that it looked like Tubin was on a second video call. And when they returned, he lowered the camera and everyone could see that he was touching his penis. <laughs> so he left the call. <laughs> he left the call and moments later came back in like apparently totally unaware that everyone had seen his his dick um and and i and he was suspended and he's no longer booked on shows or works or work with wnyc in any professional capacity and tubin said i quote and i made an embarrassingly stupid mistake believing i was off camera i apologize to my wife family friends and co-workers end quote <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this dude just couldn't wait to touch his penis on a call. I mean, that's where triple checking just comes in in real handy, you know? Right? It's like, just like... When I first saw the story, I thought, here's something he'd probably never admit, because how could you ever admit it? But I assume giving him the benefit of the doubt, I assume that the thrill of possibly getting caught was very exciting to him, but yeah. he never thought he would get caught. Like he thought he was off the hook. Like I did it, you know? Right. But that's just my assumption. Like he just thought I'm going to do something crazy and he got caught. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if he had like a mistress or something that he was on like another zoom call with, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe it was his wife, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just seems very weird. Like, you have, like, 10 minutes to potentially 
crank one out. I mean, I just the, I guess, I guess maybe you're right. Maybe it's the thrill of almost being caught that they thought like if he was, you know, I, who knows? I don't know. I certainly would never do that, but I, I mean, I feel for him because on one hand, I think he made a very stupid mistake, mm-hmm. but on the other, like, just don't, I mean, I'm sure the Zoom call wasn't going to last all day. Just wait. Yeah. Just I wait. Know. I don't get that either. Like, <laughs> like he's probably at home just going to the bathroom after it's done and take care of it, you know? Yeah. Like, or go to the bathroom while it's still going. Yeah, but <laughs> oh, it's just I don't know. I I, don't, I do think I don't really feel sorry for the guy. I have to admit, I think he made a really dumb mistake and I think like as an adult, like you should know better, you know. I do think there is something in our culture today that I don't I don't I think cell phones and the internet have made very prevalent and that's men assuming that women want to see their penises oh yeah because i was talking to a friend of mine who was going through online dating and she said that she gets penis pics so often and i find that so and i said to her that's basically assault and she was like no no i don't think so and i said yeah it is it's assault because you didn't ask i mean unless you asked like if it's somebody you love and you or somebody you're into and you want to see their penis, that's I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about men giving unsolicited n- naked pictures of themselves. And so I guess the attitude that like I'm going to show my penis on this Zoom call, if that was like a then, yeah, maybe that is I don't know. Maybe I don't feel so sorry for him because I don't actually know his motivation behind it. But I think cell phones and the internet have made this um, maybe like a a pandemic in itself <laughs> because I just I it's it's like I said it's assaults and it's very inappropriate but it's innocent because you're like a what's the word like in you're you know you're safe behind your screen right almost so no I agree with you it's well it's it's disrespectful to to like assume that someone wants to see your dick you know and also like you don't even know who you're really talking to well if if i was if i was at a mall and a guy walked up to me and he said hey what's your name age sex location and i'd say samantha 36 woodland mall (laughs) yeah i'd say woodland mall you and he'd say uh john 36 woodland mall and he'd say what's your favorite restaurant i'd say I don't know. I really like Taco Bell. What's yours? And he'd say, well, I like Red Lobster. And then he said, here's my penis. Would you consider that assault? Yes, definitely. So why is sending a photo not? No, I agree with you. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you don't agree with me. I just. No, you're right. I mean, it's obviously it's not like something that is as chargeable as openly showing your penis in a public place. But mm-hmm. um. You're right. It is the same idea. Essentially, it's just virtual, you know? Yeah. So I guess he's lucky that he didn't get charged with something more. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, that's well, a crazy story. It is. 
<laughs> so my next story is called my, my title again big dick porn star manslaughter <laughs> oh maybe you told me about this i think one. i did tell you about this one. i remember it now he's spanish or something yep he's a spanish porn, porn star his name is nacho vidal uh, this is from CNN.com by Jack Guy and RollingStone.com. And I didn't write down the writer of that one. So, sorry. Anyway. Okay. So, there is a type of toad that produces a venom that can cause hallucinations. And the toad is called the Colorado River Toad or the Sonoran Desert Toad. It's the same toad. It's just different names. Um, and... Nacho Vidal was doing a ritual with a couple people and a friend whose name is Luis Abad. He was a Spanish fashion photographer and he died after smoking dehydrated venom. And Vidal was uh, supposedly presiding over this ritual as a shaman. And it was supposed to be for therapeutic and medicinal purposes, but obviously this dude, Luis Abad, died doing it. So, uh, Spanish, so in May 29th, 2000, I think it's 2020, he was arrested along with two others under suspicion of manslaughter. And this was after an 11th month investigation. And the lawyer is like, nope, you know, um, this guy, Luis Abad, it was totally consensual that he decided to consume this venom and Nacho Vidal is not responsible and they, they haven't charged him yet. So nothing's happened yet, but fun story. So just in case you're thinking that this guy is just a little shady, <laughs> which he is, uh, in 2012, Nacho Vidal was charged for tax evasion and flight of capital in connection with an alleged money laundering ring orchestrated by the Chinese mob. Ooh. And he was released on bail. Also, according to his website, he has been in over or in at least 10,000 scenes over a career that's spanned 26 years. Jeez. What was yeah. your headline again? It is a big dick porn star manslaughter. So does he have like an abnormal penis? He has a big dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like you, you know, I feel like that should have come into play a little bit. Like, is he like dirt? Uh, what's his name? Dirk Diggler? No, it's not that big. Oh, <clears throat> interesting. That's pretty crazy that. I think it's, I mean, it makes sense. He didn't force the guy to smoke it, but he probably did influence him, it sounds like. So. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's, it, I, obviously, we don't know all the details, you know? But I wonder what that death was like. Like, I wonder if the guy just sort of, like, drifted off and didn't wake up or if he was, like, asphyxiated or something. Oof. Yeah. yeah. I know. So that just, little kids, don't smoke toad venom. <laughs> Or adults, I guess. Nobody. Should <laughs> yeah, or smoke adults. It. Yeah. Uh, don't do. I was gonna say drugs, but they're not really drugs. It's just you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess 
that's the argument that like, well, marijuana grows from the earth and that's okay. Well, toad venom comes from a toad. So <laughs> it's natural, <laughs> but I don't know. You know, but I mean, if you have, also like, consume like, too much belladonna, you can die, but it also comes from the earth. So, I mean, I yeah. guess it's like, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. That's crazy. I, yeah. What's I belladonna? Know. Is that a plant? Yeah, it's a plant. It's what I thought. Um, in, I think it was like between times women would put it into their eyes because it dilates your pupils and it was seen as a more attractive feature jeez but if you have too much of it you can die so my last story and i think the most insane one is called prisoners commit massive fraud so I want to tell you a little bit of backstory on some of these prisoners that have done this massive fraud and the, like the three that like I had, like that had been pointed out in the article, which was on KTVU.com by Henry Lee and Aja Selden. Uh, the first, the, they had mentioned that Scott Peterson was part of this fraud and also Carrie Stainer. And so, and Susan Eubanks and, you know, everyone kind of knows like Scott Peterson was a guy that was convicted of killing his pregnant wife. I don't really think he did it, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> like I, I know a lot about this. I know a lot about this case. I'm like really obsessed with it because I'm a true crime junkie. Um, but I wanted to tell you about Carrie Stainer and Susan Eubanks because their stories are also pretty nuts. So a little backstory on Carrie Stainer. His brother, Stephen, was kidnapped at, the, kidnapped at the age of seven on December 4th, 1972 by child molester Kenneth Parnell. He was held 200 miles away in Mendocino County, California, until he was 14 when he managed to escape with Timothy White, another one of Parnell's victims. Uh, Parnell often tried to use... Yeah, he often tried to use Stephen as an accomplice to kidnap other young boys, but Stephen would, um, like, like purposefully not do it correctly so that the boys wouldn't get kidnapped. Sort of like uh, a let the right one in situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but less vampire-y. <laughs> Um That's the real unfortunate and, part of the story. <laughs> yeah, and on, he died in 1989 in a motorcycle accident when he was driving home from work and he was 24 years old. Jeez. So. What a life. Can you imagine? I, I mean, that's no. awful. That's horrific. Yeah. Yes, it is. So anyway... Now that we've <laughs> discussed that happy story, so let's talk about Carrie Stainer, his brother. Carrie Stainer was an Amer- or he's still alive, is an American serial killer who was convicted of murders of four women between February and July of 1999. They occurred near Yosemite National Park, and he's currently on death row in San Quentin Penitentiary in California. So let's talk about Susan Eubanks. On October 26, 1999, she shot four of her sons in the head. They were ranging, actually, I think she only has four sons. They were ranged from ages of four to 14. And then she tried to attempt suicide, but survived. And apparently the catalyst for this murder was that she had a fight with her boyfriend before. So 
great mom. <laughs> anyway. This is a bummer of a story. I know. So <clears throat> this, so now we're, you know, speeding up to, to today. And this has happened in nine counties in California where a bunch of inmates at California prisons and jails successfully filed tens of thousands of jobless claims between March and August. 35,000 inmates filled unemployment claims and they paid out to a total of more than $140 million. So the inmates were filing unemployment claims basically yep under like fake names or something um i don't have that information they all put like they all put the same bank account number or i don't how do they get the money information where does the Um, money go so well okay so the sacramento county district attorney Anne marie schubert said that the full amount could be upwards of one billion dollars um And so far, 135 California death row inmates have received jobless benefits, including Carrie Stainer, Susan Eubanks, Scott Peterson. Um, So the checks come to the prison? So I'm assuming so, but it sounds like officials believe that many of the inmates were working in conjunction with people on the outside to defraud the state's unemployment system. Okay. But they could be part of organized theft rings. So, so the money went to somebody outside the I'm, prison. Yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like, but it was like, you know, through the the prisoner. But um, the way that they caught on to this, the authorities, was that they were listening to inmates through recorded jail calls. So, <laughs> so in jail, the guy's like, hey, man, how's it going? Pretty good. Listen to this. I set up a fake account for unemployment. I'm getting paid. Yep. So we basically like confessed to the crime. I mean, more or less, essentially, like they oh were like, gosh. "Oh yeah, hey, did you get my um, unemployment benefits?" By the way, oh, you did. Great, thanks. I need you to put By those way, in an offshore account for me, please. <laughs> what? I need you to put those in an offshore account for me, please. Yeah, if you don't, I'll kill you. <laughs> so I, I assume that they're not. I assume that none of them have a life sentence. Um. Like what? Wait, what do you mean? Like as far as fraud or? Well, I just mean like if I'm if I'm stacking up unemployment benefits, I guess I am planning on getting out of prison before I die. So the I three don't know. Of them I mean, don't... I think that they can use money in the in the prison system to buy things. So that's maybe why. They oh, have... so they can buy like jet skis and stuff. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Um, and like property and i mean i i don't know that i don't have the details i don't know the oh, details this is all i know yeah so that's it that's well i guess stories. if you're gonna commit a crime don't talk about it on the phone yeah seriously <laughs> <laughs> so yeah what do you think of my my crazy weird stories yeah there was some crazy crazy news stories i think uh the frog venom is probably the craziest. Just, I don't know. <laughs> I like know. the idea that people are, somebody's like, I'm a shaman and you can smoke this. Like, I know. That should be a red flag to almost anybody. <laughs> I know. Like, by the way, I've had sex with hundreds of women. <laughs> like, if somebody came up to me and 
like tried to assure me of the trustworthiness of things because they were a shaman, I probably would start laughing. <laughs> like, like, listen, okay, you can be a shaman, but I'm not gonna smoke it. <laughs> Here, no, 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 no. It's just a little bit of dehydrated toad venom. I mean, they <laughs> in their life hasn't done. Yeah. A little bit of dehydrated toad venom. What's the big deal? Come on. We're all adults here. Like, it's just a little bit. Of, I mean, oh my gosh. Listen, if it kills you, it'll only kill you just a little bit. It only kills it'll you be, once. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. All right. 2020, crazy year. By the time we record next week, 2020 will be done. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? It'll still be the same world that was in 2020. (laughs) Yeah. Today I saw a post on Facebook that made me angry. And it said, does anyone else feel troubled by the fact that the name of next year is literally 2021, but it's spelled W-O-N. And I wanted to say, well, it's not literally 2021, W-O-N. It's 2021, O-N-E. So, no, I don't feel troubled by it. What I don't, I don't even I don't even understand what their thinking is. Is it oh, backwards? Yeah, no, that's stupid. I don't yeah. like that. That's I don't like it either. It and I, they me. put like they put like a um like a reaction pic of like Will like Will Smith, Smith crying. If he's like, whoa, like no, that's just dumb. That's yeah. It's not literally. That's what bothers me. Like you can say. No. It's not. That next year sounds like 2021, W-O-N, but to say literally is uh, an egregious misuse of the English language. (laughs) (laughs) It also bothers me when people misuse the word literally. They're like, I literally was hanging by the skin of my teeth. And I'm like, you weren't literally hanging. No! (laughs) Like... (laughs) literally Uh, yeah good job on those headlines that was that was that was interesting (laughs) thanks yeah it was pretty fun to write actually it was uh (laughs) it was entertaining for sure um obviously it doesn't have anything to do with movies but you know i mean it does have to do with what we're living in so it's a good year end review no yeah Uh uh-huh i think so too Maybe yeah, Watchers of um, Movies is the only place people get their news. So it's useful yeah, that's for us. that's probably true. It's useful yeah, for us to mention right. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so are you ready to talk about the movie? I am. So what did you think of the movie? I really liked it. I like this movie a lot. I think it's very fun. And it's very feel good in a way that works really well for the movie. Like feel good in a movie is not always a good thing, but in this movie, it works really well. It's, it's very cool. I love seeing experts be experts at something. That's one of my favorite things. I think the performances were really fun. And I did look up like the, how close, how realistic the story was versus the real life story. And it's pretty close. I mean, obviously, there's, like, dramatic embellishment, but it's it's good. It's fun. I I really enjoy it. How about you? Yeah. I really liked it. It was – it captivated me from pretty much from the moment it started. It was, like – I mean, I was, like, maybe I'll finish this and I'll or I'll, like, watch, like, an hour and a half of it and then I'll watch, like, the, you know, the next hour – 
um, like a Saturday, but I didn't really want to. I wanted to finish it, you know? I was like, no, I'm into it. I'm into it for the long haul. And I really enjoyed it. And it was very fun. And I sent you a text that was um that said that like every time that Christian Bale was racing, I was like swearing so much. <laughs> like he'd like he'd like get close to someone and I'd be like, I'd be like, shit, fuck, fuck, fuck. Oh my God, fuck shit, motherfucker, Jesus. You know, like it's so um it was it was uh it was fun. It was a fun movie. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. It was yeah. very it was good cast and everything and yeah, so I, I was reading an article that said initially Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt were going to be cast, but then they recast it as Matt Damon and Christian Bale. And you brought this up in a section that I cut out, but you, I said Tom Cruise would be a good Carol Shelby, not as good as Matt Damon, but pretty good. But Brad Pitt probably wouldn't be as good because I've never heard him do an English accent. And you said maybe Brad Pitt would be Carol Shelby. Yeah. I think Tom Cruise would be a much better Ken Miles because I think he has more of that unhinged aspect to him. Mm. Not that Brad Pitt can't do unhinged. He definitely can. It's just that like, it, it's, it's like, I mean, I'm a big fan of both of them, you know, right. um, but I've just never seen like Tom Cruise has like an almost inherently like not so look about him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Whereas whereas Brad Pitt just is kind of more chill. He's more like laid back, you know. Um, Tom Cruise seems to be very intense. And then did you see like there's some news article about how he flipped out at this um on the on the set of Mission Impossible Seven? Yeah, I listened um, to the audio for that. Yeah. That he like flipped out at someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I get. I think that he, I think his reasoning is, um, in my mind, is is acceptable just because of what's happening in the world. But he, it's like, instead of talking calmly and being like, guys, you need to stop doing this because it's a fucking pandemic. He was like, what the fuck is going on around? You know, and so it's just like, geez, all right. You know, so, um, but as far as, the way that the actual people looked, um, Christian Bale looked a lot more like Ken Miles than either Brad Pitt or yeah. Tom Cruise. Yeah. I'm not trying to be derogatory because I do really enjoy Tom Cruise, but his acting style has a definite air of pride about it that is really hard to squash. And I think Ken Miles, Christian Bale did him so well because he doesn't have to compensate he knows what he's doing behind the wheel so he is cocky and confident he's not trying to prove himself to anyone he already knows how to do it and and i think that that was played much better by christian bale because he was he just knew like he just was he didn't he didn't have to tell anybody he didn't have to prove himself he didn't have to overcome an obstacle of people not believing that he knew it because he knew that he knew it and Carol Shelby knew that right. he knew it, you know? Yeah. Well, and also Christian Bale is Welsh, so he's from the UK. So he is much more likely to be able to speak with a, a British accent than Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, who are both American men. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think yeah. Matt Damon did a much better job at Carol Shelby than my imagined Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt could have done it because Brad Pitt has a warmth about him that's kind of comforting in the way that Matt Damon played the role was kind of like comforting in a way, like confident yeah. as well, but he just... He has a thoughtfulness. He he added a thoughtfulness to it. And I just thought it was, they both did a, a phenomenal job. But yeah. I think that was the best casting choice. I think so too. I think yeah. so too. Um, and I pointed out to you that I texted you as I was watching the movie and I was like, oh, Christian Bale's British in this. And I was really excited over that because I was trying, I was trying to think in my mind, the last movie I've seen where Christian Bale played a British man or a Welsh man or whatever, or something that was much closer to his actual accent. Um, and I can only think of one and I'm not even sure if this is right. <laughs> so I think he may have had one in Reign of Fire. And that's I was just going to say one I was, that I could think of. I was just going to say Reign of Fire is the only one I can think of. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was British in Empire of the Sun, but he was like 12. Okay, but, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, Probably before he became super method, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've like everything I'm, I'm thinking of him, it's like, so like, you know, as Batman, he was American, American Psycho. Obviously, he was American. He was, had an American accent in Howl's Moving Castle, um, you know, and, and like he just, he just doesn't play British characters very often. Do you see the Yeah, kitty? he... He's come to join us. Oh, <laughs> please ask him how he feels about the movie, the Meowvi. How did you feel about the Meowvi? No, he doesn't have anything he to say. He never, he won't say. <laughs> he just purred. Keeps it close to the chest. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting that He's he... Like, I'll never tell. Yeah, he always is not his nationality, I guess. Or not always, but most of the time he's... Yeah. He's different and i i think i agree with you it was refreshing to see him as a british man and i don't know if that's his actual accent or not maybe he was affecting a different accent um it's but, not his he has a welsh accent okay yeah so, yeah it was it's he did a really good job very very yeah. good job i agree big time um i'm a big fan of christian bale and i really like matt well i don't i wouldn't say I really like matt damon i would say um I don't have any problems with Matt Damon. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I actively seek out his work by any means, uh, but I don't, I don't, I like his stuff. You know, I um, like the last movie I think I watched with him, obviously other than Ford versus Ferrari is the talented Mr. Ripley. And I really liked that one. So, but that was like from 99. <laughs> so that's an older film, you know? Yeah. Um, Matt Damon, yeah. Matt Damon went through an interesting or I went through an interesting thing regarding Matt Damon where I love Goodwill Hunting. I think he does a phenomenal job in that movie. And then he did a lot of movies that I was just okay with. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, yeah, they're good. Matt Damon's good. They're fine. The Bourne movie is fun. The Bourne movies are fun, you know. And then he played like a mega heel in The Departed. And I was like, oh, Matt Damon, what a heel. And then he just kind of like, he stayed pretty even killed for me. I didn't see a lot of things from him that gave me like super heightened emotions about his performance since Goodwill Hunting until The Martian. And I love oh, The Martian good. so much and his performance like he carried so he carried all of his scenes and he just did such an amazing job in that movie that it 
it reignited my excitement for him. And I also really loved him in this movie. And I feel like I've turned a corner where it's it's going to be hard for me to not be excited about his work now. Now after the Martian, like post Martian, he's <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's he did really good in this movie, and and it was Didn't fun. Did we see the Martian together when we were in Maryland? Yes, we did. I like I like how we went on vacation and we saw two movies on vacation. <laughs> I love seeing movies. I love going to theaters and seeing how different cities theaters are set up I know, you know? Like, I really like that I, I mean I think like a vacation is meant to be fun and you're meant to do things that you enjoy so I yeah. can't fathom why I wouldn't see a movie on vacation <laughs> just I think it's so on brand for us that we were like we're gonna go on vacation together and we're gonna go to the movie theater twice <laughs> yeah well like yeah there's nothing saying that like my vacation has to be miserable like I can't see a movie just because I'm on vacation yeah no you make a good point you make a yeah. And well, we went to see the um, what was it, the National Aero? What was it, the Aeronautical? We went to the Smithsonian. Oh, yeah, we went to the Smithsonian. Um, but we went to the um, we saw like the Discovery. Remember yeah, the space shuttle? Mm-hmm. Not the yeah. Smithsonian. It was called the National like. Well, the Smithsonian has like many branches. Oh, there's like true. the air and space one, and there's like yeah. Air and space one, mm-hmm. yeah. That was cool. Yeah, we went to the, Virginia. there's this airplane. Listen, anybody who's going to D.C. or the D.C. area, you're going to go to the Smithsonian in D.C. that has, like, the air, like, the, the aircraft and everything. And that one's cool, but you want to go to the one also by Dulles Airport because that's, in like, Virginia. a giant hangar, and that's where the Enola Gay is, and there's a Concorde there, and there's, I think, like, a stealth bomber or something there. There's something, I can't remember exactly what it is, but very cool aircraft so if you're interested in that go to both of them don't just go to the one in downtown go to the one by dulles because it's totally worth it it's really cool it's yeah cool. yeah i'm glad that you you were like let's go there and i was like okay i really i really wanted to see the enola gay because i had read the book um what's it called i have it in my bookshelf what's it called unbroken i read the book unbroken uh Oh, wasn't that made into a movie? A, a, not a very good movie, but yes. But the book was amazing. <laughs> and um, and it talks about dropping the bomb and how, like, I mean, it just sounds horrifying. And just, like, talk about a crazy piece of history. I really wanted to see the plane. Yeah, it's, um, I remember, and we're we're kind of getting off topic, but I remember standing there and looking at this and being like, amazing it's amazing how many uh, millions of lives of people were affected by this the Hiroshima and the um what was it the Nagasaki bombing yeah you know it was just like it changed just by it, this little airplane it I mean, literally it so changed the world and yeah. um yeah in the book on broken it's very interesting because uh obviously he was the the stories about i can't remember his name but he was a prisoner of war in Japan and so after the bombs were dropped, um, I think maybe just, I think Hiroshima was the first one. I, don't know. I might be wrong because I didn't do any research on this. I didn't know I was going to be talking about it. But <laughs> so the, so news would sort of trickle into these prisoner of war camps and they were like, like they would hear stories that like a single bomb took out a whole city and they were like, well, that's, that, that can't happen. That's not possible. It had to be like a bombing run. And then the second bomb happened and then more news came in and then like obviously the camps were liberated and I think they saw the cover of like Life magazine or something that 
announced basically announced that this bomb had been created and just imagine a world before nuclear weapons and then waking up the day after nuclear weapons like that would be terrifying and oh my god I know. so it's very interesting it's a very good book i mean they she i think the, the writer's name is lauren Hild, hildenbrand she also wrote sea biscuit which is also a phenomenal book but she gave an account of the bombing run the B, the enola gay like how think the bombardier would drop the bomb and then they had so much time to fly out of the area or they would obviously and just like she recorded like the journal entry of i can't remember if it was a bombardier or somebody else in the plane talking about how the sky like turned colors it's i don't know it's really interesting sounds scary it sounds terrifying i mean Yeah. yeah but anyway yes we did see the martian on vacation and yes. matt damon is awesome and i yeah. love i love his accent in ford versus ferrari me too like southern girl southern boy I- <laughs> um so i wanted to tell you and i i almost texted you but i felt like it was better to tell you on the um the podcast is that I thought it was funny that his first name is Carol because he's also in 30 Rock for a couple episodes and his name is also Carol in that. <laughs> that is pretty funny. And that was way before this movie even. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah, it was. For it was sure. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Did he like, play an astronaut in 30 he plays Rock? He a pilot. Pilot. Okay. <laughs> I was That's like. Pretty good. I was like, if they were around the same time, they could be in the same universe, but they're not. The timeline is all off. But right, yeah, because um, I don't. I I'm I'm sure you find out what his last name is in Thirty Rock, but I can't remember it. But all I could remember is that his name was Carol, and I thought that was funny. I was like, <laughs> who in their career ends up playing two men? With yeah, Carol. <laughs> you know? Yeah, what are the odds? And I've never heard of a man named Carol outside of, like, I've heard of men named like Kelly and men named Stacy, but I'd I'd never heard of a man named Carol. Yeah, so. yeah, Stacy. Stacy always reminds me of Broad City. Um, Seth Rogen's in it, and his character's name is Stacy. And <laughs> in one scene, one of the girls they're having sex, and it's like super hot, and he faints in the apartment. She's like, Stacy. Stacy. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I I very much enjoyed the movie. Um, it was really fun, and I like I I kind of like I was like you know I've never been into like car racing, but this might make me get into car racing, you know, because it's really thrilling and it's really fun watching uh these people zoom around the track and also it's terrifying because how i mean you're watching as like someone just overturns their car and the car like fucking explodes and i was just like what the fuck oh my god I, i mean that's i was i was so i was so like you know like swearing like a sailor because Every time something like that would happen, I'd be like, oh, my God, Jesus, what the fuck is happening? You know, I'd be like, shit, holy shit. Um, so I was definitely actively watching it, as you could you could say. Um, I kind of wish I had seen it in theaters. I think that would have been really cool. 
but I think it came out in IMAX and I think that would have been fun as that well. Would be really neat. Yeah. yeah. I do I do really like car movies cuz I think nothing looks cooler than driving a manual transmission. Oh yeah. And driving very fast and being very confident in your actions. I think like that's really really cool. Like it just looks cool. It does look cool. And uh, the first car I learned on was a manual transmission. Yeah, see? It's just I don't I don't know how to drive one. And Mike has a Camaro that's a manual and it's fun to ride in. And it's cool. It's such a cool car. But it like, I mean, like, obviously, he's never given me a driving lesson in it. But it, it's like, so much power. It's kind of scary almost, you know? It is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my little car was old, and it couldn't make its way up a hill. But you know, <laughs> it literally would stall on hills. It would be like, no, nope, I can't do this. And I'd be like, come on. Come on, buddy, please. <laughs> but um, if you ever get the chance to get a driving lesson, I would highly suggest it. It's very satisfying learning how to drive uh, I would, a manual. I would like to know just to have the skill, you know, yeah. and just to have the experience. But yeah, um, car movies it's are not pretty difficult. Cool. It's it's not hard. It's just um, it's just as like you have to do things at the same time, basically. Oh yeah, with the clutch yeah. and everything. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. What were you saying? No, it's okay. It's it's just um, so the last couple of years I've been watching Formula One with Mike, mm-hmm. which is pretty fun to watch, and like the safety protocols that are in place now after decades of horrible accidents are pretty good for the drivers. But they still have like there was an accident in Bahrain, maybe two or three weeks ago, four weeks ago, where the driver slammed into the guardrail went underneath it and then the car exploded and he survived because they have this thing i think they call it a halo but it's it's in front of the cockpit so the halo basically saved him from getting decapitated by going when he went underneath i mean you know like and um, their their suits, like they talk about in the movie, their suits and everything are flame resistant. So he walked away with like minor burns and scratches, but it looked horrific. Like it was a ball of fire. And they showed the car and half of the car was on one side of the guardrail and the other half was charred rubble on the other side of the guardrail. So, wow. Yeah. I would recommend the movie Senna. It's a documentary and it's awesome. It's about a F- Formula One driver. and um, that's a really good movie that takes place in the seventies. I think, and I think it's on Netflix and the movie rush is, um, a fictionalized movie based on a real, real situation with Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Brühl about mm-hmm. Nikki Lauda. And I don't remember who the British racer is, but, and that's about the real accident. Like Nikki Lauda had a terrible accident in formula one and he was disfigured, like burned for his whole oh, life, boy. you know? And, that's a really good movie as well. If you're interested in racing movies, I yeah, recommend both of those. I, Senna was Senna is interesting because it's a documentary, and right. uh, but anyway, yeah. yeah but, I, um, so speaking of, and we're kind of jumping ahead here, but I did. I was curious as to how Ken Miles had died, and I'm gonna pull it up really quick. So just hold your horses. So <clears throat> this is on Wikipedia. I looked up his his death because I was curious as to what really happened because you don't really see what happens. Um, it's just really implied that he passes away in a car. 
Um, so what happened was the car had, um, they, he was going like 200 miles per hour and the car suddenly looped, flipped, crashed and caught fire. It broke into pieces and it ejected him and killed him instantly. Jeez. So what happened is due to that, the, uh, aerodynamics of the j car were modified to correct the rear end lift generated at race speeds and basically what they did is they uh created like a a steel tube rollover cage to be installed on a okay car. so next time that theoretically wouldn't happen but i was I was like, did he burn to death or what happened? So it was it was interesting to find out that that's how he had died. But yeah, um, and his son saw it. <laughs> like, yeah, well, and it was like it was like foreshadowed throughout the entire movie too. Yeah, going to die, and so I kind of was like, I wasn't really surprised when that happened, you know. But uh, the scene where he is zooming around the track and the the brakes start to like overheat and then it catches on fire i was like i had so much like like sadness and empathy and compassion for this poor kid who is so so clearly traumatized about like watching his dad almost die and and then you see, like, you know, later, like, he keeps asking his dad, he's like, what about the brakes? Are the brakes okay? Or is everything yeah. going to be okay? You know? And, and um, you know, clearly, like, the kid, like, was not aware that his dad was going to die, but it was, he was so frightened by the events that I just, the emotional and, like, trauma, traumatic impact of that kind of situation, because then he did end up kind of seeing his dad die, essentially, um, I can't even imagine how that would affect this kid for the rest of his life, you know? Like, how would he view cars, racing in general after that, you know? I think he went on, because I read up on it as well, and I think he went on to work in racing in some capacity. Um, because I think I think that the bright spot of such a terrible tragedy is that Ken and I know this is a cliched phrase and I don't know how to say it any other way, but he sort of died doing what he loved. Yeah. And I think that passion after the initial sadness of losing him, I would imagine his passion for the sport of motor racing and just cars in general might help bridge the gap between grief and moving forward and like a legacy almost. Yeah. Cause I know what you mean. I think it could like something like that could easily turn you off to like I never I never want to be in a a race car again I don't want to see a race ever again but I think it's kind of cool that he left a legacy for his son to sort of take up in some ways right but he did I think the article in Wikipedia did say that he never went back to Le Mans again because the last mm. time he went there was with his dad and so I thought that was kind of poignant just, yeah. Cause I agree with you. Like, what would you like? That would be awful. Like seeing your parent, oh, yeah. seeing anybody, I think seeing anybody pass away, like would be just oh, yeah. horrific. So, but yeah. especially when you're 10 years old and it's your father. Yeah. Like, like the first time, oh, it was, it was just so awful. This poor kid. And I, I just wanted to like, 
like I wanted to like protect him like and keep him safe you know what I mean I was like don't look baby don't look you don't understand what you're looking at you know and and um and yeah I it was I I thought that that was well done and I have said I have said that I have issues before with um, movies and like TV shows and just off the top of my head, I'm thinking like supernatural, um, don't foreshadow things that happen later in the show or movie or whatever, you know, um, just casually thinking like supernatural. I've never mentioned it before or anything. But, but like, I mean, is it foreshadowing shadowing or is it like a Chekhov's gun situation? Like what's, where do you draw oh, I the guess line? That's a good point. Um, I guess that's a good point. Huh. You do make a good point because I think it could be both. Because I agree. I'm I'm totally not disagreeing with you. Like when you said it, it made sense to me that you're like, yeah, there are some foreshadowing jobs that are just done really badly. Yeah. But like in this movie, I didn't feel like that. That never crossed my mind that that was a bad foreshadow. You know, it just it did like, me. Many oh, really? Times. Yeah. Many times I was like, but you I didn't. Like, I mean, Oh, so you thought you didn't know that he was going to die, but you thought he might die throughout yeah. the movie? Mm-hmm. At the end, I was not surprised. I was like, yep, that sounds about right. But I mean, Every also, though, several times. but he's kind of in his own regard. He's basically like a test pilot. So that job attracts daredevils and people who die young a lot of the time. So is it that out of the ordinary, though, that he died? I mean... Was the foreshadowing actually bad because his profession or what he loved to do was reckless? Well, okay, so I guess I don't really know how to answer your question because all I'm thinking is um, the guy Pops, he had said to the son, Peter, to to Ken's son, he said, um, like, because... Peter was asking him a couple of questions about like the brakes and everything like that. And he said, well, you know, the suits that they have are, are, you know, flame proof. And, um, if he, it was something like, like the kid was like, well, you know, if the car sets on fire, like, well, what happens is they'll burn or whatever. And, and, and pops is like, no, because you know, the suits are, are flame proof. But then Peter says like, well, what about that guy that died, you know, and because he like knew about some dude that had died in a in a fire accident, and and pops was like, well, he just didn't get out of the car, but like he he wasn't able to get out of the car. And then when Ken dies at the end, he goes, uh, he goes. Pop says he didn't get out of the car. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. So I think that you're right, and that you're right. It does attract a lot of daredevil people who maybe their life expectancy isn't as long due to what kind of career that they have and the kind of dangerous situations that they put themselves in. Um, but as far as everything goes, I mean, I was not at all surprised when he when he died, like at all. I was pretty much expecting it. But what did, did you What did you feel like? Did, were you surprised? Well, I'm I'm trying to dissect your emotions in the scene because cause I wasn't surprised just because of what I said where they're like test pilots. Like, 
Right. The job does not go to people who like accountants who play it safe. You know, it goes to people like that's my dad used to say stuff like that's why more men are born than women, because men die in silly ways when they're especially I mean, he's not young. He was middle aged. But like, you know, like men are more likely and I don't I'm not trying to be sexist, but I think and I can say this categorically because I've seen it with my own eyes that men and young boys are more likely to do something risky than women overall is yeah i mean that's statistically they are you're not being sexist that's just a fact (laughs) i just i don't want it to like become something but so it didn't surprise me in that regard because the life of a race car driver there's always sort of a cloud hang especially in the 60s and 70s and way before that where they didn't even have any protection like they're just driving with no windshield and no roof so statistically it was very likely that he was going to get in some sort of wreck and he was going to die and i i was not surprised in that regard but i was surprised that he died and i was sad that he died and i was sad that he died two months after le mans like he didn't even get to do it again and he was cut off in the prime of life he was he was you know he was doing awesome work he was in his prime he was he had his son he had his wife he had a very full life so that was sad to me but I never thought that the foreshadowing was bad because I really liked the pep talk that Pops gave to the son because in reality, he could not tell the son that his dad was going to be fine because his dad right. is never, like when you're behind the reel of a waste car, a waste car <laughs> I don't think you could ever say he's fine because right. they're just not. So I liked that he found a way to give the kid, to calm the kid down without lying to him and he said if you can get out of the car you won't burn alive and I think him saying to Carol Shelby he didn't get out of the car I think that was just to me what was a really nice bookend to the story of Ken Miles like live fast die young almost you know yeah yeah I just think that um it just didn't surprise me is yeah yeah he had like a such a controlled recklessness that yeah I guess it it just kind of makes sense almost you know yeah no it does I think it's you know any well you know and so many people it seems like they die from from these accidents you know because there are several people that were in the Le Mans where I was like there's no way that that person walked away from that accident like there's Mm -hmm. no fucking way you know it's it's a crazy sport it's I guess I would consider it a sport. I don't know if you would, but um yeah, the endurance it takes well, the endurance it takes to do any sort of racing, but let alone a, a literal endurance race of twenty four hours, like yeah. they're ath- they have to be athletes. Like if you look at Formula One drivers, they're all like twenty five or younger, very attractive, very rich very fit <laughs> you know yeah. i mean i don't watch nascar that often but i i think they're all fit as well like you can't be i don't think you can be a good driver and be in bad health you know well no. and carol shelby had to stop because his heart was you know he oh, had that yeah. heart condition so oh my gosh that beginning scene was like like he was he's driving and he's driving down that like foggy road and i was I was like starting to get like real like nervous and that yeah I thought he was gonna crash yeah and it like and it went dark and I was like what the fuck just happened you know what I mean (laughs) but then you know it was just like it was just like a cinematic like choice to do that yeah um 
and but he's you know he's he's kind of like driving and like his eyes are getting wet and stuff like that and that was so nerve-wracking to watch him drive down this like wet foggy road it's it's hard enough driving a regular car on a foggy (laughs) road let alone a race car and you're going 200 miles an hour like yeah uh, yeah I get nervous going like 40 miles an hour down a foggy road you have yeah you have to be you have to have a special set of skills to be able to react at that speed in any way yeah it's crazy yeah it's insane yeah (laughs) it's it's nuts so um I so I wanted to say, I also wanted to mention that we are very special <laughs> with our Instagram posts because the actual Josh Lucas liked one of our Instagram posts, which was pretty freaking cool. As I was watching the movie, I was like, maybe we shouldn't be excited about the worst heel of all time <laughs> enjoying our Instagram posts because he was such a terrible character. And I read the article about... um like the Le Mans race and yeah. he just like what a terrible decision the photo finish what an awful oh. terrible like what a yes man decision to make I know. no I know I have you noticed that as Josh Lucas has um like as, as time has gone on like he went from being kind of like a like a romantic lead to being like an antagonist yeah, I have, and I think that's good for him because he could so easily get caught in the romantic comedy loop for the rest of his life. And yeah. I, he plays it really well. He's kind of got that like sniveling demeanor. I mean, probably not in real life, but I just mean like in the movies, he plays the sniveling sort of heel oh, very yeah. well. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Um, he like he's a good-looking dude, so I think he can, you know, he could play a romantic lead. Obviously, he has, you know, the secret dare to dream that's <laughs> under oh his my gosh. <laughs> that movie that we both make fun of and neither of us are gonna see ever. <laughs> uh, um, no, he, he definitely was, he was definitely, like, a, a dick, and it, it was kind of almost because... It was less like, I don't know. It was, it was less like to help the company out and more just because he wanted to screw Carol Shelby over, I felt. You know well, what I, I mean? I think he wanted to screw Ken Miles over. I don't think he Oh, yeah, cared that's right. Because yeah. Ken went to the Mustang show and basically told him that the Mustang sucked. Yeah. And so it became personal from that point on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but he- I thought he was a good character. Oh yeah, overall, he was like definitely interesting. You a know? really good villain. Yeah, yeah. yeah and for sure. um, there was a scene that I wanted to talk about. There's a couple scenes that stand out to me, and the first one I wanted to talk about was when uh, Lee Iacocca was giving his presentation about Ferrari, mm-hmm. and I, I just like something that gives me chills is history in the making. That's how I title it, and. He says a line where he says, Enzo Ferrari is going to go down in history as the greatest car maker of all time. And that line just like gave me chills because I love the idea of making history when you don't know you're making history. I mean, at that point, he knew he was making history because Ferrari had made a name for himself. But just like the magic, like 
even nowadays, Ferrari means something very incredible. And I just really like that line. And I really liked his pitch, how he was saying, you know, all these babies that are born during that were born during the baby boom, now they have their licenses and they don't want to drive their mom and dad's Ford. And Ferrari is sex appeal. Ferrari is cool. You know, the European model is what we should be aiming for. And there's a scene where the guy who plays Henry Ford II, and I really liked, I guess it's his real nickname that they called him the Deuce. And I thought that was really funny. Um, So Henry Ford II, did you know that Henry Ford wanted to go into business making watches? I did not know that. What a weird decision. Anyway, (laughs) so Henry Ford II sort of scoffed at him. Mm -hmm. And Josh Lucas's character, I think his name is Leo Beebe, Mm-hmm. such a yes man that he laughed along with Henry Ford and it's a very quick moment but immediately you know he's a bad guy because he's such a yes man laughing along with Henry Ford right you know it's like um it was like Wormtongue and uh Theoden when Theoden says something that's like almost unintelligible and Wormtongue is like a just question my, my liege like you know it's like that sort of dynamic and it's Really quick and really well done. And I like how Lee Iacocca, played by Jonathan Bernthal, really good role. He did a really good job. I liked how he just, like, in the face of this adversity, carried on and kept going, like, doubled down. Yeah. And I yeah. really thought that was a cool, it was a cool performance from all of them, but I really liked his his resolve. And... um Anyway, that was just a very powerful scene for me. It kind of gave me chills, like talking about Ferrari and just the historical significance. It's it's very interesting to, it's like, okay, so this is obviously a little different, but um, when I watch something or read something that like takes place like three or four years ago or something, uh, and the, and someone says like, oh, this is a terrible year or whatever. I'm just like, just wait till 2020 because you ain't seen <laughs> nothing yet, you know. And it's so, baby, <laughs> it's, just like, it's so funny. And you're right that there there's such a. I mean, I think that that Lee, I what was it, Ayoko, Ayakoka, Ayakoka, um, was so right in the fact that kids don't want to drive you know these boring cars anymore they want to drive something that looks hot and and looks appealing and and um and it's interesting how it it evolved into this like it really the reality of it is that the reason why they decided to build this racing car was because it was like almost like a dick measuring contest, you know, (laughs) between Henry Ford II and Enzo Ferrari because Enzo Ferrari, and I understand kind of like where he's coming from that he's like, no, I don't want to do business with you because I'm already successful like businessman. So why would I, you know, do that? Well, Um, he actually leveraged their, um, he leveraged their, leveraged their offer with Fiat. That's why the photographer like ran and took the photographs to Fiat oh, because then okay. Fiat bought the company but let him stay in charge of his racing division because right. they were bankrupt, you know. Right. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. sorry. 
but but it is i mean it's still true that he insulted henry ford yeah yeah and henry ford the second was like oh hell no we're gonna i'm gonna show him how big my dick is (laughs) (laughs) i liked another performance from lee iacocca was when he when henry ford was like what did he say and the like the little like the guy is standing there like he doesn't have the nerve to tell him i know but lee iacocca was like he called us all sons of whores he said we have an ugly factory we make ugly cars he said you're fat you're a pig and you're not henry ford you're henry ford the (laughs) second he was so he was so matter of fact about it he was like i was i was surprised that he didn't have more um like almost like modesty saying it you know (laughs) yeah like he was like well sir you're fat and you're a pig (laughs) and you're not your father so yeah also i had no idea i thought that henry ford died in like like 19 oh i don't know like early 1900s and he died in 19 like 47 and i had really yeah i had no idea that he was around like that like almost blows my mind. I was like the guy lived through World War II and I thought he was like this that his life had ended like decades and decades before that, but he's like he had been around for a while or I don't know how long he'd been around for, but um you know, when I when I did the Google thing on my Google Home, um it was like, yeah, Henry Ford died in 1947 and I was like, "What?" So I Yeah, was- I guess I never thought about it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, because his, his first cars really started, I think, coming out in like 1905 or something. It was like very early 1900s. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of assuming that maybe he lived until he was like in his 80s or 90s. It's um, interesting that he got to see like his cars get pretty advanced for from where they started. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's, I, I mean, yeah, you're you're going... He essentially lived from a time when cars were not even a thing and we got around with carriages and horses to where, I mean, to the 40s where they're vastly different from what they were in their, in their you know, immediate prototype. And uh, I thought that that was really interesting. I was like, wow, I, I just had no idea that he, like he had it's kind of like it's kind of like when you find out that um and frank barbara walters and um martin luther king jr were all born in the same year yeah yeah it like blows your mind because you think of them as such different points of time but they're not it's all of these things were happening simultaneously and Mm -hmm. that just is that's crazy something that kind of blows my mind sometimes is i think about my grandpa and he was born in 1929 and he went to a world's fair when he was a boy and he saw a prototype for television and people were already flying at that point obviously but he saw um he was alive for as we talked about the atomic bomb Mm -hmm. he saw us come into the atomic age he saw airplanes become rockets rockets go to outer space rockets land on the moon a space station orbiting the globe he saw cars go from probably like i don't know i don't know exactly what they were in the 1930s but like very different than they were even in the 40s the 50s the 60s 
like just technology and industry. And if you were born in like 1900, you would go from seeing a world where automobiles were this newfangled invention to somebody walking on the moon and broadcasting that back to the, like back to the earth. Yeah. And that's insane. Like mind blowing. Living through that is, I can't even fathom it, you know? I mean, even, even our lives, we're, we're in our thirties, even our lives from, you know, being born in the eighties are so significantly different from when we were kids to now, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the phones we have, the computers in our pocket are, were more advanced than the rocket that was sent to the moon. Like that's insane. Yeah. I think an iPhone is more advanced than the Voyager, which is outside of our galaxy now. (laughs) Like, yeah, is that that is Mm -hmm. it's crazy. Um, so I liked how they decided to go on this initiative, and they and Lee Iacocca goes to California to see Carol Shelby because Carol Shelby is the only American to win Le Mans, Mm -hmm. which was a very big. I feel like Le Mans was a maybe i don't know if it was a bigger deal back then than it is now or if like maybe just in this movie it was a big deal because they were all car people but before i dated mike i didn't know what Lamont was and now i know because mike knows about it because he has friends who are interested in racing and he likes you know he's he's interested in racing and so i know what it is because of that but it seemed like it was is such a big deal and it's interesting that it's like an endurance test for a driver as well as a machine like and I really liked when Lee was like if we hypothetically if Ford wanted to win Le Mans what what you know what would you have to do and I liked Matt Damon's response so he's just like you got to have a machine and drivers who can endure 24 hours a lot of the race is driven at night And if like a $5 washer goes bad, that's it. The race is over. Everything you worked for is, is done. Like it's like in formula one, a lot of times cars will crash in the first leg of the race, like the first lap. Right. And so their race is finished and it's just like the highs and lows of that sport have got to be like heart. They're so heartbreaking. I know. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, like practicing and practicing and racing and racing for for months to try and just even like get close to winning this thing and then like within an hour or even even like I mean even like within god like could you imagine like going like with Bandini it was like he was in the race for what a good probably like 21 hours or something mm-hmm. and then boom, he was out. And it was, and I, even though, you know, you're, you're supposed to be rooting obviously for Shelby and for, um, and for miles, it was like, it was kind of upsetting because you just know how hard that this person had worked to try and win this race. And then it was just like, oh yeah, you've been doing this for 21 hours. Well, now you have, now you're done and that's it. And yeah, coming back, like it's, it's uh, just so, it's so weird. It's so, uh, like, I, I just, I can't imagine how much time and effort that is put into this for a, just failure. 
you know and it, it he like i mean bandini really did i think a, a good job but it was <laughs> i was okay so as i was watching this bandini guy who by the way i like never he never spoke a word <laughs> in the entire film i don't know if you noticed that but i was like this guy didn't say anything He's was, acting with his eyes the whole time. Yeah, I was wondering if he was. I I didn't look it up, but I was wondering if he was an actual real race driver. You know, oh, maybe I don't know. Um, and maybe he like didn't speak English or something, which is kind of unusual for Italian person because usually they speak English as well. Um, they're usually taught English in school, too. But um, I just I thought that was kind of interesting that maybe like maybe. He, and he was just like a, a regular just like a an actual driver you know yeah i mean he could have spoken italian they could have had subtitles like they did with enzo ferrari yeah for but sure. i think the mystique of him was better without talking yeah i think so too just glances like they're both there for the same purpose and you can pretty much tell what he's thinking yeah he's and he's so intense that um even though he wasn't a very big part, he was like, he wasn't a big part as in he didn't have a lot of scenes, but he was a huge part of the story. So it was kind of interesting having him just be such an intense dude. And um, yeah, I thought that, I, I don't know. I like that. I like yeah. that. That was just, just so intense. And uh, so, okay, let's see what else. I enjoyed there was a scene that I really enjoyed where Shelby was going to the body shop to try to convince Ken Miles to give give it a shot to come build the car or try building the car you know and he walked up and he's saying a bunch of things about the car and he's like oh new body work new this new this you might have a good car is anything on this car working right and Ken Miles is like the mirrors work really well. And Carol Shelby goes, <laughs> I saw that walking up. And I really like that line. Really, really good. I did too. I thought that was funny. And um, then they, they go out to like dinner together. And I like how Ken Miles is dismissive. Like it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to be answering to the men in the suits. Like they're yeah. not going to let you do what you want. And I, that was also very wise on his part. I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it is essentially these two men who are answering to Henry Ford to the second, you know, and Ken Miles just doesn't, he doesn't strike you as the type of person who can, I, I think his wife said something about it too, that he can't really take authority or he can't listen to authority, you know, um, and it's true. He just, he doesn't, you know, and it's like he's he's willing to burn bridges before he can build them like with leo Beebe and the mustang comment i mean to me this is someone like you don't even know who this person is and you don't know uh, you know so and he but he says that and i get from his perspective as someone who has worked on cars for i'm assuming the majority of his life that he's like yeah what you have here is garbage <laughs> you know but at the same time it's just that comment had made such a huge impact on like he almost didn't get the job you know and 
the really the only reason that he did end up getting the job was because um i'm i'm totally blanking on that what happened there well carol shall be advocated for him and you're actually getting to a part that i really wanted to talk about if you if you had anything else to say i don't go for it i there was a message in this movie that really struck a chord with me that i really liked so leo didn't like ken miles and i think ken miles is an interesting character because he knows a lot about cars and he's basically calling on leo's bluff like you're a man in a suit you don't know you don't know cars you know what sells you know it looks cool but you don't know how to you don't know cars you know he's a he's a paper pusher basically and yeah he had a problem with authority i don't disagree with that and i think the movie is an interesting movie about like his growth and we'll get into like the screw job later but i think like something that's interesting about it is so they they decide that ken can't go to le mans the first year even though he spent all the time working on the prototype of the car getting the car perfected i'm wait i just remembered the reason that they had not had him go the first time was because they didn't seem they didn't think that he was going to be a good advocate for the company um and so they had that other guy go and then didn't the other dude lose yes yeah okay. so they decided that he wasn't gonna go because leo sort of had a problem with him for the reasons that you just said and the team lost because he they weren't paying attention to like the head gasket and stuff like he said and and um and then there's a scene that i really really like and carol shelby goes to detroit to the ford corporate headquarters and he's in the waiting room and he's watching this file go from between all three of henry ford secretaries Mm -hmm. and he goes in and henry ford is like a blowhard like a hard ass you know and like he thinks i'm ford and i'm king of the roost and i can do what i want people have to kowtow to me and leo bb is is you know like a yes man who just gives him what he wants and so henry ford the second wasn't even looking at wasn't looking at shelby at all like when he came into the office like he was refusing to look at him Cause he's like, I'm the big man on this campus and this is my money and this is my car and what I say goes. And, and I just really, really, really love what happened in this scene because Carol Shelby walked in and he said that red file right there, I watched it go between three people before it got to you and not even thinking about the 20 other people that probably peeked at it before it even got up here. And I can't answer to a committee. And we had the, you know, he's like, we had the wrong driver and I got to be the person that makes the decisions. And I love it. I love how he stands up for himself and how he says to Henry Ford, like, I know you think you're hot shit, but you don't know what you're doing here. You hired me to do this. You've got to trust me. And then Henry Ford is like, like, you know, there's one person in charge of this company and you answer to me now, which I thought was really cool. And that's something that I just really like in the movie. I like that that Carol Shelby is not afraid to say, I know you think you're big stuff, but I know what I'm doing and you've got to trust me. And and I like just like get the corporate suits out of the way. I'm not going to schmooze with you. I'm not going to, I'm just going to tell you, this is what we need to do to win this race. You hired me to do that. And I really, really like it. And I, and, and then obviously later, 
Henry Ford puts Leo Beebe back in charge for unknown reasons. And I really enjoyed the scene when Shelby took him for a ride. Yeah. And I thought that was a really good performance when they stopped the car and Henry Ford was like, cry laughing because of the yeah. raw power. And I thought that was an amazing reaction to going super fast in a super powerful automobile. And it was a really good way to illustrate his point. Like, not just anyone can drive these. Yeah. 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 I back to the um the scene in the office. I totally agree with you. I love that he wasn't just like, oh, okay, you know, that's fine. Well, whatever. Um, you know, Shelby was was going, hey, dude, I'm telling you, I know what I'm fucking doing and you're not listening to me. So either like you do it my way or it doesn't get done. And it was like, yes, yes, you know, and um, and to what you were saying about how I, I love that he like that Henry Ford II and Leo Beebe and like I think it's the Leo Io why can I not pronounce his name? Io Iowaka Ioka <laughs> what is it? Iokaka. Okay. Um that that Leo is like, hey, can I can I talk to you, Shelby in the off it, or like privately? And and he's like, sure, yeah, we can talk. And he leads him into his office and then he's like, sure, we can talk. And then he like locks him in there. Yeah. It's pretty good. Because he knew exactly what he was doing. And I love that there was like that other British kid that seemingly was only there to like, to like, I don't know if you noticed this, but the British guy, I don't remember his name, but he seemingly was only there to like say the obvious. You know what I mean? Did you notice that? Like, kind of because at the end he was like, he announced like who the winner would be or something at the Le Mans race. Yeah. You know, like it's only Ken. <laughs> it's like he just seemed to be like, oh, um, the door is locked, and you're like, oh, really? I didn't notice that. <laughs> well, he was holding the door shut with his foot. He was holding right. it shut with his foot, so he was saying that to. Well, no, I was saying like um, I was saying like I was being I was giving a like a example. You know oh, what I mean? sorry. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But so when he locked Leo Beebe in the office because Shelby knew what he was doing and taking Henry Ford II for a ride, which I thought was an, a, a pretty genius move on his end, um, because I think that, you know, I think Leo Beebe would have just, he's like, he's like Jafar in Aladdin, like just whispering constantly in Henry Ford II's ear, like, oh, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure this is the way that things should be done? You know, like, well, what if we do it this way? You shouldn't trust Carol Shelby. And Carol Shelby is like, I'm going to get rid of this fucking snake in the grass and I'm going to take this dude for a ride and I'm going to show him the true raw power of what this machine can really do. And, um, and I think that just the the emotional impact of what Henry the Ford second felt, you know, feeling this machine and seeing how fast it can go and having this reaction to being like, this is something that I wish my father could have seen and mm -hmm. how, you know, how the world has changed and how it's developed and, and how, you know, like see what his cars look like now because it's been 20 years essentially since his dad died because he died in 47 and this takes place in 66 um so i i like that a lot and i like that he was just like bawling his eyes out you know and it was so impactful and so powerful that he knew that if he didn't 
put the right guy behind the wheel that he was going to, it, it was almost like letting his father down in a way, I think. Maybe that's how he viewed it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was great. That was a great scene. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I liked that a lot. And I just love, like I said, experts being experts where they're like figuring out what's wrong with the car. Like they tape all the yarn on it to see where the wind yeah. is going bad. And they, and like, I liked when Ken Miles took it for like, Shelby picked him up and Ken was hesitant, but he's like, no, just come on. I'll have you back in a half hour. And Ken got it behind the wheel of their first prototype yeah. and drove it around and he as soon as he got out he's like naming all this stuff that happened like he's such an expert and then he gets back in to go again like he's hooked you know yeah i know i love it and uh it, it was interesting watching them develop this car and change their different things and like take the weight off of it and stuff like that uh i mean because there is a real there's a real scientific aspect to this you're you're talking about wind velocity and and all this different stuff and the drag and it's like, it's, it's very cool. It's very cool to see people talk about something that I'm like, I don't really know a lot about, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Um, because I, I love learning. I love learning new things. And even though this is a, a, a movie, which I'm sure is exaggerated, you know, um, I'm sure that there are many aspects to it that are realistic. Or, yeah. Or realistic. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um so then <laughs> i keep thinking about the wife taking their driving in the car and she starts speeding up i what did you feel about that scene because i was not a big fan of it i i was kind of like she's like what he does is way different from what she's doing she's like actively putting them in danger you know just to get an answer out of him i have mixed feelings about that scene because like two scenes before that when he so the garage that he owned got locked up by the IRS. So he had to get a different job. And she was like, listen, if you're not racing, you're always going to want to race. It's your passion. It's your dream. You don't have to quit racing just because you're, you, need to, you think you need to get a job or something. And he's like, no, I, I have to quit. I have to quit racing so we can grow fat and old and we can have rose bus bushes and stuff. And then in the car, she seems like pissed off at him for like going and trying the race car with carol shelby and at first i'm like why is she so angry like she just said he needs to do it but then they redeem it a little at the end where she's like stop doing things you think will make me happy because you assume you know what i want and i thought that was interesting like she knows his passion she supports his passion she just doesn't want him to lose sight of it because he thinks like she doesn't want to be blamed for him like living a lackluster life basically because she's cool right. with his she's cool with the fact that he wants to race and he needs to race and she the thing she's not cool with is him lying to her or like pretending that he's happy not racing right so the point came across but not as well as maybe in a different scene i didn't care for I didn't care for him flipping out about her driving because all she was doing was like passing cars. It didn't seem like she was being super reckless to me. It just seemed like she was like driving fast and passing cars. So I didn't really understand. I thought his reaction was unequal to the driving that she was actually doing. Um, so I maybe kind of wish that she would have had that pep talk with him in a different locale. Yeah. I didn't care for like the 
the drama that they were trying to create in that scene. I didn't either. And I, I it's kind of funny because I um, am on the other side where I think that his reaction to what she was doing was equivalent to how she was behaving i think that that was that made perfect sense to me because i would have been probably the same way i would have been screaming yelling like slow the fuck down what are you doing you know um but i don't know it was it was just weird i think it could have been done differently yeah um yeah to me i i didn't i didn't love it but it certainly wasn't anything that um you know, made a difference in how I feel about the rest of the film at all. That you know? scene in particular felt like a different movie. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, it was weird. It was yeah. a little bizarre. Yep. Felt a little out of place. I really liked his relationship with his son, though. I liked how he would take his son, like, to the first race where he threw the wrench at Matt Damon. I really liked that, you know, he brought his son and he, he brought his son to the, like, the shop when they were trying to build the the gt40 i think that's the car that it was and and i like how he took him out to the runway and was talking about the perfect lap and he was sort of having these little like insightful racing pep talks with him i thought that was very sweet and then at the end he was like do you want to get ice cream you know like back to being a dad again you know and i i really liked that i did too i thought it was cute i i love i love seeing father-son like healthy relationships in in movies you know it's it's yeah it's endearing and it's nice to watch because it's just, it's like, oh, they really care about each other and love each other, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, so let's talk about, well, we kind of talked about the ending with the whole Leo BB wanting all three cars to cross the end line at the same time. I, so stupid that was so stupid to me it's i did a little bit of research because i maybe he would never admit to this in real life but i'm not sure if he knew in real life that the tie break would go to somebody other than ken miles or not oh and because i like what a screw job what a terrible thing to do what a terrible corporate like that would make me if I knew about that, that would make me never want to buy a Ford because I just think it's such a, such a corporate schmoozy marketing gimmick. And it drives me insane that somebody would like eat, sleep and breathe a brand so badly that you would ask someone to slow down in a race, a race that you, I mean, really Leo Beebe had no blood, sweat and tears in the race whatsoever. So it was probably easy for him to ask them to slow down. But what an asinine thing to do. And I thought for Ken Miles in the movie universe, for Ken Miles' growth, it was interesting because he had the race. He was winning the race and he decided to be a team player. And I I kind of liked that interesting aspect, but that's obviously movie-fied. Yeah. So, um... And, but I just like, so basically I read up on it and the tie break goes, they sort of mentioned this in the movie, but I didn't quite understand it. But so the three Ford cars that were in the Le Mans were one, two, three. That's how they placed. And they wanted Ken to slow down so they could cross the finish line for a photo op. 
And because it was a tie, the tie break goes to the car that went the farthest distance in 24 hours. Right. And because one of the cars started like 60 feet, 60 feet behind Ken, he won. Yeah. And it was so sad. Like it made me like, I felt like crying just watching it because it's just awful, 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 stupid behavior. You're watching a race and you're asking someone to slow down. Like there's, there's a, what, like a myth or whatever about that with the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a cautionary tale about that very scenario. And it's, it's so bad, but I really like how Carol said, it's your car. It's your race, your choice. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. And then I liked how at the end, like, he was bothered by the loss, but then he immediately, him and Carol were walking away thinking about ways they could improve the car, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I totally agree with you. I, I think it was good as, as like, what you said. I'm just going to kind of rehash what you said, basically, um, with my own thoughts. But uh, I think it was good, like, what you said as far as Ken Miles, like, um, essentially like a character arc or a paradigm shift you know yeah um that he he kind of came to terms with okay so this is what they want me to do but at the same time i didn't want him to do that i mean neither when i was like fuck them like, yeah I'm like yeah and i totally agree with you it pisses me off that they did this like that it was like this photo oppy thing and it was kind of stupid, in my opinion. Very stupid. Very and, stupid. And, and like, like, the fact that the other dude won on a technicality was, like what you said, it was so upsetting and so disappointing and really, like, just, you know, I mean, like, Ken Miles, he broke his his personal record, you know, in this race. And essentially, I mean, he like fought tooth and nail to do this race and was again as i kind of as i said before like he is going for 24 hours and obviously they have shifts where someone yeah. else you know but um regardless i think it's only like four hours per shift or yeah whatever. i think that's what they said yeah yeah so that's a long time to be on the road anyway racing at 200 miles an hour imagine doing that at 200 miles an hour um and then essentially to just have him basically give up his crown for someone else after he worked so fucking hard to get where he is and it's like it makes me angry and leo bb like honestly you know he can suck it that guy's the worst <laughs> like it's just yeah it's just like who does that you know and and that, like what you said I also don't know if he knew that the other dude would win if he had suggested this but I I wouldn't put it past him you know yeah I think I, he was a tiny little man who wanted he wanted to fuck shit up you know yeah I I liked when he kept calling down to the cock like the the pit crew and Carol Shelby said to the young guy, don't pick up that phone <laughs> because earlier he had the young guy write like, take it easy, Ken. And Carol was like, put that sign down. Like, I liked that. But to piggyback on something you said is that I agree with you because though it's movie that Ken 
sort of comes to terms and learns how to be a team player. I never felt throughout the movie that he needed to learn that. I always felt like he was right and everyone else needed to be on his team. Like yeah. Leo was the heel villain and I would never have expected Ken to play on Leo's team. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because I agree with you. I didn't want him to do that. I wanted him to win and I would not have thought that any less of him if he won. I wouldn't thought like, oh, he's not a team player. I would have thought this team should be thanking him, <laughs> you know? Yeah, one, I totally agree, 100%. And that, and well, not only that, but that was the whole fucking reason that they did this. Yeah. Was so Ken would win. That was yeah. the whole reason. Like, that's, like, that's, like, that's, like, <laughs> I'm getting all, like, angry and upset about this, but that's, the entire movie is building up to this fucking point <laughs> where he is supposed to win. They've built this car and they've changed all this shit on this car. And they like, and, and you know, Carol Shelby fought for, for Ken Miles to be behind the wheel to win Le Mans because he knew that he could win because he knew that he was the person that was going to lead them to victory. And it's still. They were like, oh, you're not a team player. So, you know, and it's, yeah. it's like they want some golden boy, you know, like poster boy for Ford. But the reality of it is, is that Ken Miles is not a poster boy. He's not a golden boy. He is a driver and that's what he does. He, he wins and he's aggressive and he's good at what he does. And so if you are, are leading to this entire moment where you want this guy to win and then some jackass comes in and is like, hey, I have this great idea. It's super stupid, but let's do it anyway. I'm getting really like angry and passionate about this. Now. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, you know, it, it's just, it's like, what was the whole point then? What was the whole point of fighting for this and trying to get this guy to where he is if all you're going to do is have some stupid photo finish? It's like it's like using Photoshop on a supermodel. These women and men already have these beautiful, gorgeous bodies. Why do you need to make them thinner? You know what I mean? It's like, what's the point at the end of the day? You know? Yeah, it's it's just like corporate BS, basically. And it, can you imagine the regret? Like in the reading that I did, Carol Shelby did say he wished he'd never told Ken what they wanted. And right. I would, I can imagine that regret. Like if he just kept his mouth shut, Ken would have won. And who cares if Ford is mad at you? You did what you're supposed to do. You won the race. That's what they ask you to do. And what what is them being mad at you going to change anything at that point? Like the regret, I think, would be astounding. But um, yeah. yeah, but I really did like, and I don't know if this happened in real life, but I liked that Enzo Ferrari acknowledged Ken's awesome job and gave him like a head nod from far away. I thought that was really cool. Me too. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Whew, calm down now. That was obviously a little bit of a trigger for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was pissed off as well. And the, the even worse thing is that this movie wasn't written. It's a real story. And that makes it yeah. even worse. It does not like the writers just decided that there should be a screw job. Somebody in real life did it, you know? I know. Uh, and I think that's what's so frustrating about this whole thing is that it's like, you know, you have this guy who is like, hey, I have this idea and it's just a dumb idea, you know? Yeah. And again, as I reiterated many times, the whole point was for him to win and they still 
I just, I just don't get it. I don't get it. To me, it's so, it's like, it's so like, it's like glamorizing something that shouldn't be necessarily glamorized, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if, when they are, we're all crowding around the driver that won, Ken looks at Carol Shelby and he's like, oh, selling cars, huh? And Carol Shelby's like, yep, that's what they do. So their motivation wasn't necessarily to make a great car. It was to sell more cars. Right. So right. yeah, their motivation through the whole process wasn't what maybe Shelby and Ken Miles anticipated was just like making a good race car. It was like, how can we make Ford a brand that people will want to buy? Yep. Yeah. You know, and hey, it's a very successful brand. So yeah. yeah, I guess they did what they did, you know? Um, I really, I really liked at the end that they said that the Ford won at Le Mans um, in 1967, 1968, and 1969, mm-hmm. and that Miles was posthumously inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame in 2001. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was cool, too. I like that his legacy lives on. And yeah, and he was screwed out of winning like the endurance racing triple crown or whatever, which is kind of sucky. But in the articles, it all sort of says like he should have won it, you know. So his yeah. name still goes down in history for that as well. Yeah, it was it was a really good it was a very good story. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I I got really into it. Like yes. during the racing parts, I was like on the edge of my seat. Like <laughs> like I had like my blanket like held up to my chin because I was like, what's gonna happen? <laughs> you know. So yeah. Um, yeah. Would you recommend it? I would definitely recommend it 100%. It's, um, like I said, it's feel good in all the ways that a movie should be feel good. And it's mm-hmm. also very interesting and very informative. And it's really fun to watch experts be experts. And it's kind of like the scene in Apollo 13 where the NASA, the mission control people empty a box onto a table and they said, we have to use this to make an air filter but it's a whole movie of that. And that's really fun to watch. And I would just recommend it. And like I said, Senna is an awesome documentary about a Formula One driver from the 70s. And Rush is an awesome movie rendition of, I think, Formula One drivers from, I think, the 70s. But So if you're interested in racing movies, I would recommend Ford versus Ferrari and then those other two. And then there's probably plenty others that you can find i'm sure yeah how about you would you recommend it i definitely would i actually did recommend it to a bunch of people after i watched it i texted people and i was like i just watched ford versus ferrari ferrari i I highly recommend this movie um it, it was um it was fun it was exciting it was thrilling obviously i got really passionate at one point and <laughs> upset about things so it it will definitely you know raise your 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 um you know um your heart rate i guess and uh it was a great cast i think that they did a, a well cat well done cast and i'm a big christian bill fan anyway so that's a plus for me mm-hmm. um and yeah, I for sure. And it's on HBO right now as of uh, December 2020. So if you want to watch it, you know, check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> so you can follow us on Instagram at Watchers of Movies. We also have another Instagram called the 
the watchers who find things, <laughs> which I'm still forgetting the name. Um, I was finally able to sign into it after um, having to get a new phone. And now I have to get another phone because the one I have is a piece of crap. So it's just been kind of a technical issue lately. Anyway, um, and uh, we are on SoundCloud. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We are on um google play and stitcher and we also have a website that's watchersandmovies.weebly.com and if you want to see my kitty cat i have an instagram for him and it's bear catten and that's catten with a k <laughs> so if you're curious he's a cutie you can see him on there and thank you to mike for our music our theme music Yes, and if you want to see what Mike looks like, I have a whole Instagram devoted to Mike, <laughs> and it's Mike Catton, which is weird with a K, and so look him up. <laughs> and she's kidding about but it. <laughs> if you want to find Mike on Twitter, he is at the Mike Show forty two, and thank you, Mike, for our awesome theme music. Thanks, Mike. And also, remember our new format. If you want us to review a movie, go ahead to iTunes. Give us five stars, write a review, and in that review, say which movie you want us to cover. We'll shoot that one to the top of our list. It will take priority. As always, you can email us or social media message us any recommendations you might have, and we will do those, but they just won't be prioritized. So head yeah. to iTunes, give five stars, give us a movie, and we will review it. Yeah, and if you want to send us an email, if you have thoughts, feelings, you just want to say, hey... You can email us at watchersandmovies at gmail.com. And yeah, and I want to ask you a question. So oh. on Mike Cadden, is all of his pictures with him wearing kitty ears? <laughs> no, it's just him. And sometimes, like, if you can see his hands, I say, look at those toe beans. <laughs> like what I do with my kitty. Yeah. And sometimes I take pictures of him napping, and I put yeah. in the caption, like, I'm so tired. <laughs> These are all the things I do with my <laughs> poor kitty. Yeah. He loves me, though. He's been sitting on my lap this entire time, so he's, he's very content. He's a happy cat. Don't you worry. He's, he's he is. He's very, very well. He's a very chill cat. He's like the dude, basically. <laughs> he's, he's a... I mean, his middle name is Cliff, because he's Cliff, because he's named after uh, Brad Pitt's character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, who's like the chillest character ever, so yeah. Yeah. And that's it. I think we're done, right? Bye.